Our message today is the return of the prodigal, return of the prodigal. And uh, I want to talk to you. We're going to use the illustration or the parable that Jesus gave in the Bible concerning the prodigal son. And it's interesting to note that the word prodigal is really not in the Bible, the word itself. But the word prodigal simply means wasteful. And this is what happened to the young man that the Bible talks about. Now, I want to talk to you from two standpoints. One is about the prodigal, whoever he may be, himself, and then our position in all of that. What does that have to do with us who are in the church? So I'll be talking to that a little further on down into the lesson here. But I want to uh, start out here by talking to you about these uh, these lessons here, and I'm going to have you turn with us to Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Now, this is on your lesson. It's the very top. It's the scripture that you see right under the return of the prodigal. <clears throat> return of the prodigal. I'm going to read this so that we'll understand uh, all about the prodigal situation here and the circumstances here and everything. This message God gave me in the middle of the night. Uh, I passed by a TV screen and somewhere, I don't know where, and there was two sisters who had just gone through a traumatic experience of losing a loved one. One was crying and the other one was comforting her. And the one that was seemed to be the older of the two said to the younger one, let's go home. Let's go home. And boy, that hit me like some, I don't know, I went away. I went away. In the middle of the night, I woke up, and the Lord began to impress me. Let's go home now. Usually, we think about the coming of the Lord, and let's go home in the rapture and all that. But that's not our thought here. The thought is that there are people out there who know enough about God and seeing what's happening in the world all around them. That some of them are seeing inside of them. Let's go home. It's time to go home. It's time to find God. We've got to find out what's going to happen in this world. This world is crazy. It's turning upside down. There's crazy things going on. I don't need to even be... I, I, I get these reports in the mail. Kepinger Report is one. Uh, these are all people who are in high places in Washington, D.C. that sends out reports about what's going on in the world. And they skip all the fancy stuff and the political stuff, and they try to give you the real basic stuff. And I can tell you that there are things happening in the world today that is very concerning to all of us. It's happening to Israel, uh, this thing about China and, and uh, Formosa over there, and, and our government and the Democrats and Republicans used to have elections, and then they'd work in harmony with each other. Now they're fighting each other like crazy. And it goes on and on and on, and you wonder how long will we stand and how long can it. And people out in that world are seeing that. Now let me read the prodigal because it represents people who are saying, I'm a long ways away from God and I need to get back to God. And so I'm going to read this and found here in Luke chapter 15 and verse 11. Look at this with me, if you would. And this is in your scriptures here at the very top. This is where we'll we'll start reading right here. Luke 15, 
in verses 11 through uh, 24. Look at this very closely. And you know the story. It's familiar to most of us. <clears throat> and he said, certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. This is the father did that. Not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. In other words, he chose the wild life lifestyle and he wasted all that he had. In verse 14, and when he had spent all, he had nothing left now. There arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now, this was a Jewish lad. Jews don't eat pork. They don't even eat pork. To them, the pig and the swine is one of the filthiest animals in the world. And if you ever hang around them very much, you might come to the same conclusion. They wallow in the mud and the dirt and the filth, and it, it goes on and on and on. And so <clears throat> he found himself feeding swine, feeding the swine, let alone even being around them. Verse 16, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, the food that they were feeding the swine, which was husks. Now, if you take a ear of corn, for instance, and the shucks around it. You peel them all off. That's the husk of a ear of corn. That's a husk of corn. It got a husk of wheat and different grains and different kinds. And so uh, it says here, he would have, that's what they were feeding this swine. And it says, and he would have fain filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. And no man gave unto him. That's the world. That's the world. They're not going to give you anything that's good. And when he came to himself, look at that. He came to himself. He came to a place where he says, I got to do something about where I am, what I am, the lifestyle I'm living. And he knew too much back there about his father and his father's home to say for me to keep on staying in this filth and stuff that I'm in. Now, different people out there know different things about God. Some of them have been brought up in Pentecostal churches and they're waved and they're out there. Some have just been brought up in denominational churches. They never knew the Pentecostal faith, but they went and they're out there. They're out in the world. Some of them are in the deep stuff. Some are in just shallow waters. But they're out in that world and they're seeing things going on in the world. And they are starting to say to themselves, why am I, I, why am I here in this mess when I know that God has something better for me? Amen. Now, don't you think for a moment that there's not people out there that's beginning to think that more than ever before. I'm going to give you scriptures and so forth. We're going to talk about this in just a moment. But it says, when he came to himself... He said, how many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. <clears throat> now, this is all a physical thing, but I'm replying it to the spiritual side of it. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. That's what he was, all he was going to ask for, is just let me make be like one of your hired servants. And he was humble about it all. Verse 20, and he arose, came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto the father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to him, servants, unto his servants, bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be in mer- They begin to be merry. So I'm pointing out to you here that the Lord, praise the Lord, is giving us a parable of a man who returned back to the Lord who had once known God and had gone astray from him. And uh, <clears throat> I want to talk to you from my heart here today about people that are out there. And they're looking and they're searching and they're hungry. And some of you have gone astray and come back. And you know what it's like. And there's all kinds of crazy things going on out there. The prodigal son was wasteful. I'm going to go to A here. Let me, uh, let me go to A here. The prodigal's, prodigal means wasteful. And the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son is emphasized when it came to himself. And there are people out there, they come to themselves and they say, it's time for me to do something about my life. And I'm bringing your attention to the fact that there are people out there that's beginning to come to themselves. And your job in mine, and I'll talk more about this a little bit later on, your job in mine is to try to help them to find God and come back to the Lord and to show them the way that they may know how to get home, get back home where they may find what they need from the Lord. But look at B there. There are many who have known God or known God in a measure, like I say in some denominational churches, and that are beginning to see that it's time to go home, that it's time to go home. And so uh, <clears throat> the Lord, praise the Lord, is speaking to them. I, uh, I remember years ago, it's been... Just before I, we came to this church, it's over 32 years ago. It had been 33 years ago, I guess. I was, we were living in Port St. Joe, Florida, a little town up in West Florida where my wife and I and family were pastoring. And uh, <clears throat> one night, in the middle of the night, I had a dream. And I dreamed that we were at the Florida camp meeting in Ocala, Florida. We had gone there many times and have gone there many times since. And uh, we'd come out of the tabernacle, and we were walking across the little field that's there. And there was a shout. And I looked toward the east, and the eastern sky was beginning to light up. And in my dream, in my dream, I heard somebody say, the Lord is coming. And I heard shrieks and voices and voices going up. People crying out. And I knew that that moment had come, the rapture was going to happen. And I remember in my dream, I took 
my wife's hand, my left hand, my daughter, and my right hand. I still remember the details of it. And my daughter, my wife took my son, which is your pastor now, took him by his hand. He was a little boy then. Took him by his hand. And me holding the hand of my daughter, the little girl, and my daughter, and my, and my wife's hand, and us walking toward the light. And what went through my mind at that moment was that the Lord is coming and the only thing that will mean anything from this day forward is what we have done only for the Lord. Everything else will mean nothing. <clears throat> what I have done for myself, what I have done in, in uh, trying to have possessions or having objects or having uh, money or whatever it is, anything you want to think about. All of that will mean nothing. And in that dream, I said to myself, the only from this moment on, for eternity, forever and forever, the only thing that will matter will be what I have done for God. What I've got. And folks, that moment will come one day. It will come. And I had that in that dream. And it was so powerful, I woke up. Looked, the clock is two o'clock in the morning. And I dreamed, had dreamed that the rapture was coming and I was not on, you know, cattle on the campground, but I was in my bed in Port St. Joe in Florida. I crawled out of bed and got down on my knees and I talked to God a long time. Said, God, don't let me ever get anything ahead of you. And I'm saying this to all of us here today, folks, that there's nothing more important than what we do for God. Praise the Lord. Amen. I know we have to have food on the table, and I know we have to pay our bills, and, and I know all of that, and you've got to have a job and so forth. But as far as what is the most important thing in your life, remember the things of God are the most important things in the world to us. And I'll never forget that as long as I live. Now, I'm going to move on here. I want to go to Romans here, 520, because <clears throat> this is a scripture that tells us about <clears throat> how important it is that we be aware that uh, sin is all around us, but God's grace is greater. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered that offenses may abound. Now look at this next line. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Where sin abounded. In other words, where there's a lot of sin, the grace of God is in abundance as well. So when people start saying, oh, I'm swamped with sin, sin's so heavy, it's, it's everywhere. That's all right, God's grace. And God's grace is the unearned favor of God. It's the unearned merited of God. God's goodness to us when we have not deserved it or earned it. It is upon us, praise the Lord. And I want you to know that because of God's goodness and God's grace, amen, we can be saved. I don't care how wicked the world is. I don't care how far back in the world and in sin you have gone. And I'm talking to anyone that might be watching this on, the, on, on, their, on their TVs or whatever, wherever they are. They may be watching this. Wherever you may be, you're able to get to God because God has made it possible through his grace. Through his grace. Now, let me read a couple of scriptures to you here. I'm going to read one here found in Ephesians. <clears throat> Ephesians uh, Two and eight, I have that in your notes. Ephesians two eight, if you look at this one here. <clears throat> for by grace 
ye are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, that grace of God, that unearned favor. God gives us favor, and we have not earned it. Now, I'm going to back up. This is not in your notes there, but if I'll back up to verse 4 and 5 in that same chapter. This is in uh, Ephesians 2. And I've just read the 8th verse. I'll back up to verse 2. Look at this one. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. The great love of God. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, you're saved. So it is the unearned favor that God has extended to us that we might be saved and God has given us the grace of God. Now, if I can uh, talk to you about this a little bit, about the grace of God, Calvary is the ultimate of the grace of God. We never deserved what the price that he paid. God so loved the world that he gave, he gave, gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believeth the him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay. Calvary, praise the Lord, was that gift that God gave us. We didn't deserve Calvary. Now you think about it. Jesus went to that cross. And here just yesterday, I read all four gospel books of Calvary, the story of the incidents where it happened, where Jesus was whipped, was beaten, put a crown of thorns on his head and pushed him down to mock him because he was king of the Jews. Oh, you're a king. Oh, he will make a crown for you then. And they made it out of thorns and pushed it down on his head and those thorns. And that wasn't a little old tiny thorns. It was a big old thorny bush that they, 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 and I've been in Israel where they have those thorny bushes. They pushed that down on his head and, and it pushed into his skin all around his head and blood began to run down his face and around his head all around. That was just one thing that he did and he took it all. He suffered. And he didn't have to do anything. He said, I could call for 10,000 angels and they'd be here in a moment. Jesus said that. He told Pilate that I could call 10,000 angels. But he didn't do it. He took it all on himself. And he went to that cross. He laid him on that cross and they nailed him to the cross. And we nailed him in his hand. Some people, somebody asked me this not long ago and I explained it to him. Yeah, that's true. They said that I've read that it was in the wrist that they nailed him. I said, yes, because in the Bible, the wrist is part of the hand. And if it had been in the hand, it would ripped out through his fingers as he hung on the cross. But they put it in his wrist right in here. They nailed it, the nails in his wrist and hung him to a cross and then nailed his feet at the bottom together against the cross. And Jesus hung on that cross in a public display out in where everybody could see it. And everything, and they hung him there. And he laid there for six hours. He hung on that cross, and he bled, and he suffered, and he hurt, and and he was weary. And they mocked him, and they scoffed him, and they cast lots for his clothes, and they they spit upon him. And they, when he was thirsty, they gave him vinegar for to drink for a mockery. I'm just trying to tell you here: all of this was done against Christ, and Christ suffered all of that. Praise the Lord. He suffered it for you and me. He hung there. He knew no sins. But he died with all our sins upon him. 
And in Psalms 22, 1, it says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That's in Hebrew now. And he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, right up to almost just before he died, he said those words, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is in Hebrew. And in the New Testament, they never spoke Hebrew, pure Hebrew, in the New Testament in Israel. They spoke Aramaic, which was a mixture of Hebrew and Arabic and, and other languages. And they also spoke Greek and everything, too. <clears throat> but the Greek was the commercial language. And uh, the legal language of the legal legalities was the Roman language. I won't get into that, which was Latin. <clears throat> but he spoke. But for when Jesus hung on the cross, he spoke pure Hebrew. And he actually spoke the words that was in Psalms 22, 1. And he said those, and it's recorded, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabachthani, is recorded in both Matthew and in Mark, those were very words that he said. I tell you that, and when they said it, he said, he called for Levi, he called for Levi. Well, who, Levi's going to help him now? Who's Levi? You know, they, they didn't know the pure language, you know. But Jesus was speaking the Hebrew, and he was saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And why did Jesus say that? Because he died with your sins upon him and my sins all upon him. He died as the worst sinner would die. The worst sinner, not because he had sins, but because he took upon himself our sins. And I want you to know that Calvary was a horrible thing, but the Lord did it for you and I. And that's the grace of God. I have no right to eternal life. I have sinned in my life. You have sinned in this life. But Jesus loved us. And he had mercy upon us. And he reached out to us. And he reached for us. And he wants you and I to be saved. Praise the Lord. And I'm going to speak to anybody here that's not saved. Whoever you are. Jesus paid the price. And all you have to do is come to him and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I repent of all the things that I have done. Fill me with your spirit. And then be baptized, of course, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and have your sins washed away following repentance. And I'm going to just tell you here today, I don't care where you are, who you are, where your background is, where you are out there. I don't care what you've done. Jesus paid the price on Calvary that you and I might be saved and that anyone can come to the Lord and find God and be saved because the grace of God is great, and the grace of God is wonderful. Praise the Lord. So God's grace is great and great, really to be praised. I'm reading here from 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15. Uh, this is uh, not in your notes. I'm reading this also, just reading it from my Bible here. It says here, the grace of our God was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners to whom I am chief. And this was Paul writing. He's writing to Timothy and he said, the end the Lord came into this world to save sinners and I was one of the worst kind of sinners and God saved me and if he saved me, he can save anybody, will save anybody. And I want you to know here today that the Lord is in the saving business. He's reaching out to all of those out there, praise the Lord, that'll be saved. Uh, <clears throat> I was uh, 
when I was 16 years old, the year, I'm going to give it a year here. I was 16 years old. It was the year was, it was, it was a watch night. It was a watch night, not a watch night. It was a New Year's Eve service, not service, New Year's Eve night. It was when the 1951 was going out and 1952 was going, coming in. That's way back there. I was a 16-year-old boy, just six months into six, being 16 years old. And I went with my two uncles, my mother's two bro- younger brothers. They were, one was like about 24 or 5, 25, and one was, one was about six, 16, same age as I was. And we went to a a big barn dance in Tampa, Florida. And there's one of the big, big halls. And there's a big square dance. It had a big circle out in the middle, people square dancing. And they had these tables that ringed all around it, all around it. And people would sit at the table and they would drink and they would sit there and they'd party. Then they'd get out on the floor and they'd do their square dancing, their square dancing and everything. I didn't do any square dancing. I sat there at that table. This was all sort of new to me. It wasn't my world. And uh, I played football in high school, and, and I didn't want anything to interfere with me being in the best of health. So I never drank any beer, never drank any wine, never drank anything wrong. I didn't smoke cigarettes. But I sit there, and I watched all of this and watched it all. And this is everybody having their time and their fun. And then the midnight hour came, and they began to shout, New Year, this is the new year, the new year, the old year out, 51, new year in, 52, and everybody began to blow their little whirls, and they began to throw their little circles in the air, and everybody began to shout and jump around. And over the table next to us was a military boy from MacDill Field that had a girl that was a date with him, and he had drank and gotten drunk. He was drunk as a skunk. And he was at that other table. And I never will forget turning and looking there at them. And she grabbed his hand and held it up. And he's sitting there. And he had, I think he had thrown up and everything. It was a mess. And she held up his hand and said, be happy, be happy. It's a new year. I'll never forget this. Because when I turned and looked at that, a voice inside of me said, this is not you. This is not for you. This is not what you are. A little voice came in my mind and said, this is not you. And it was a funny thing that it came to me like that because I didn't think it. It was just like it just came to me. This is not you. This, he's drunk. She said, be happy, and he's drunk as a skunk. And people out there all, and everybody else drinking half, you know, half, half, half drunk or whatever you want to call it, part drunk, drinking. And I looked at that, and that voice in my mind said, this is not you. Folks, there are people out there in that world that God's talking to. Amen. Now listen to me. That's why I'm telling you this. If he talked to me, he's talking to them out there. And he said, this is not you. This is not for you. This is not what you you are. I've got something better for you. Praise the Lord. And I don't know where they are. And I don't know what they're doing. I don't know what they're involved in. I don't care how deep they're involved in it. God's grace is so great and so mighty that he can save them out of it. Praise the Lord. 
And this was in and three months later in March. I went to a Pentecostal church on a Sunday night in Niceville, Florida. Not Tampa, but in Niceville. A little small country town up there. Went to a Pentecostal church. Amen. And I'd sit in the back of that church and the preacher preached. And my brother's brother Rooks, Wayne Rooks, who was later became pastor of the Miami church. But at that time, he was an evangelist. He and his wife, she played an accordion and sang and everything. And they were the evangelists. And I sat there in the back of the church with some friends of mine. And we sat there and just sort of, well, okay, it's Sunday night. That's where you go on Sunday night, I guess, to church. So we went to church. And I'd been to Pentecostal churches before. I knew, I knew what Pentecost was all about. I knew all around. I'd been up, growing up all around. I went to Sunday schools and Sunday everything, but never had gotten saved. Three months later, after that experience, where it said, this is not you, there's people, they, these young guys around me, one went to the altar, then another went to the altar, then another, and finally I was the only one left there. And I can never, never forget that I had a little keychain with a football on it, and I was spinning it around on my finger like this. And I said, when I get out of here, I'm going to say to them, boy, they almost got me tonight. Uh, and, I was, and I was fiddling with that thing. And finally I said, I can't, I can't stand it anymore. God was convicting me. I put that thing in my pocket. I got up and walked down to that altar. And then, folks, my life was turned upside down. I prayed through that night, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That night, they took me out and baptized me in a bio. And I received the Holy Ghost. And God gave me his wonderful gift. Praise the Lord. And God later, later on, I got to begin to begin to pray and seek the Lord. I'd go down in the woods in the daytime and I'd fast and I'd get in the woods and I'd pray by, by myself. The Lord called me to preach the gospel. Use Matthew 28, 19, go in all the world, preach the gospel. Lord, I'm with you always, even in the end of the world. The Lord called me and then he confirmed it by telling the pastor. He, pastor had a dream and he said, I got two men in my church that's called a minister. And Ellis Myers was one of them, you know, and I was one of them, you know, and I, and, and I knew, and then I got a confirmation. I testified in church one day and the Lord anointed me and I got anointed and like I was preaching and everything happened to me twice. And then the Lord began to deal with me about going to Bible school. Now listen to me closely on this. And so come September, I went off to Bible school in St. Paul, Minnesota. Went off to Bible school up there. Rough, tough, but I went through all the hardships. And at Christmas, I got a ride with one of my friends back to Niceville and spent Christmas there. My folks was there as well. They came up from Miami and they had moved back down there and now they would come up there and my grandparents lived there and all. And, and, uh, we spent Christmas there at that place. And I never will forget that uh, we went to church on New Year's Eve, but not a watch night service. Church was all over with. We left church. I went back in my mother's, my grandmother's house, just as a single still, of course. Went back to my grandmother's house. And as I went in the front door and I was getting ready to go into my bedroom, my grandmother said, just come in. My granddad said, just come in, go into your bedroom. You know where it is. Just help yourself, not spare bedroom. Okay. Thanks, grandma and granddad. I came in the house and folks, when I came in, I heard the dong, dong of the clock and I looked at it and it was 12 o'clock the old year was out and the new year was coming in and I remembered that one year before I was in Tampa in that 
square dance place and the Lord says, this is not you. I got something better for you. Praise the Lord. This is not you. And I got down on my knees and I prayed and talked to God and I said, God, thank you for ever bringing me out of that world. I'm feeling the Holy Ghost telling you all of this. I said, God, thank you for bringing me out of that world and out of that sin and everything, Lord. And never letting me get into that heavy-duty mess, you know. But I thank God for that. And I begin to thank God right there. And since that time, every New Year's Eve, I try to be someplace. And that's been 70-some years or 70 years ago. I have tried to be somewhere praying and saying, God, thank you, Jesus, that you ever saved me and brought me out. And I praise you with all my heart. Praise the Lord. And I want to tell you today... Folks, just like God dealt with me, God's dealing with people out there just like that. And he's trying to call them out of those things and bring them in, bring them into his wonderful way. Let me move on here. Now, many in the world are now beginning to respond to this. They are looking, but not always know how to find God. And all you have to do is try to find a good Pentecostal church apostolic Jesus name church or just lift your hands and start talking to God. Let God know that you love him and God will open a door. Uh, I've been hearing stories lately. You heard your pastor tell the one about the guy up in Indianapolis that came to him and said I came to church and heard you preach and you laid hands on me. I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You heard him tell that last week and everything. And uh, and I, I've come across people that's told me that and I've told you that long ago about the, the sister that I went out and canvassing in the period and she said I've been praying to somebody to show me the way and I she came to church got saved got filled with the Holy Ghost and her little boy w- with her and everything and they moved to up to uh, up to uh, Virginia and and I saw him not long ago he's a grown man and he said we're still living for God and folks They're all over like that. Praise the Lord. Because, amen, the Lord saves and he does not cast away. So let me move on here. Uh, Look at three here. This is where we are, where we are as a church. This is where we come in in all of this. A, we must show them the way. That's where we are. Now I want to talk to you about you and I. Helping people in the world to find their way to God. There's all kinds of ways that we can help them. And uh, A, we must show them the way. Number one, the location of Israel, the bridge of the land. Let me show you this map. This is where God's put us. Not physically, but spiritually. I'm going to put this map up here. And... uh, this is the Mediterranean Sea in here. And this is the boot Italy here. Sometimes I show that to show you where it is. This is Africa down in here. This is uh, Europe up in here. All up in here. New England. I mean England. England, France, Germany, Sweden, all that up in here. Back over here, you're back this way is Asia. Back over in here toward this way. This is the Middle East in here. Everything. This is the Arabian Desert. Now, when God placed Abraham in the land and said, I want you to go to this land, I want you to be there. 
He put them right here. I have a little arrow there. You can, I don't know if you can see that red arrow or not. But it's right here. It's, and it's between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. The Sea of Galilee at the top of it, Dead Sea at the bottom of it. And it's a little strip of land in there that's so small on this map you can hardly see it. But it was called the Bridge of the Earth. And here's why. Because travelers going from the Middle East and Asia, going to Africa, had to go through this little area right in through here. They had to come down through here and they went into Africa. Or going from Africa to Europe, they'd go this way. Or Europe coming into Africa. Or Africa going into Asia and the Middle East. They'd go right through here. It's called the bridge right in here. Because this was all desert down in here and they couldn't. They couldn't come across here like this. And the sea was in. There's a sea there and a sea here. And everything. They had to come across what was called the bridge of the earth. And God put Israel there and said, I'm going to make you kings and priests. And you are to be a witness to the people so that when travelers would travel through there, they'd witness to them about God and how God and the, the people would say, why are you so blessed? You are blessed to the Lord. God has given you and he's blessed you. How is that? Because he's the one and only God. And they were to be a witness to the Lord and God put them there for that purpose. Now, God has put us here to be a witness to people out there. And so we don't have some, this is the Old Testament bridge of the earth. Ours, praise the Lord, <clears throat> is just people that we know, is family, is friends. And I want you to look at your notes here a little bit. Look at this with us. We must show them the way, the location of Israel, the bridge of the world. And then number two, each of us must reach those we can. You see, everybody reaches different people different ways. Praise the Lord. Amen. Everybody preaching. Everybody. Everybody has a different way. Praise the Lord. I want three, three brothers. You two brothers right here. Mike and... Uh, Matt's son behind him. I forgot your name. Stand up. Just stand up. Brother Jenkins, stand up. All right. Just as examples here, okay? Each one of you know people that the other two don't know. Each one of you are in touch with others that the, the other two are not. You know them, their family members, their friends, their neighbors. And nobody can reach. These two cannot reach who he can reach. These other two cannot reach who you can reach, Mike. And you, amen, these two can't reach who you can. But we all know people that we can reach that others can't reach. You may be seated. God bless you. And I'm seeing all of that to point out to us here today. Try to reach the people that you can. I want you to start putting forth a special effort. This is what this is all about here in my lesson today. Is for us to begin to try to reach out to other people. Think about it. Pray and say, God, lead me in contact with somebody that I can witness to, that I can testify. Somebody that's hungry for God. It may be a stranger you don't even know. It may be somebody in Walmart that you, that you may pass in the aisle or something. But in their home, they're praying and saying, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know what church to go. I want to find you, God. I don't know how to find you. And God can lead you to them. Praise the Lord. Amen. And I'm saying that God wants to use the church today for this. Yes. Praise the Lord. Because they are prodigals who are wanting to come back to God. 
And we can help them because we can show them the way. Praise God. Amen. <clears throat> so I'm going to look at this right now. I know my time's getting away. But notice here, we must show them the way. The location. Of the, number two, each of us can reach others. A, pray for family and friends. Pray for family and friends. Amen. Maybe they don't have nobody else to pray for them, folks. You start praying for them and trying to find opportunities to lead them and show them to the way to the Lord. B, ask God to lead you to someone who is hungry to God. Yes. Any of you ever done that? <clears throat> Say, God, lead me to somebody. I'm just, and keep praying, keep praying. Pray every day, Jesus, lead me to somebody that's hungry for God, that I may show them the way and help them to find the Lord. And you become a good friend to them and help them to find the Lord. But pray, ask God, and God will lead you to somebody. Ask God to lead you to somebody. C, be ever mindful of people out there and all around us who are looking for truth and answers in life. <clears throat> be mindful of that. And when you see a little glimpse of that with somebody, see if you can lock into it, if you can step into the, the vacuum. Instead of just moving on, we say, no, no, I'm going to take time here and say, yes, you can be saved. I know a church. Yeah, the first Pentecost, that's the old name, the East Wind Pentecostal Church. Praise the Lord. There's revival going on there. There's a move of God and God can save you. And you can be, some people say, I can't be saved. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Amen. I've had people tell me that. I can't be saved. Oh, yes, you can. And the Lord loves you and he wants to save you. That's the devil telling you. The devil jump up there and said, oh, you can't be saved. Everything you say, get behind me, devil. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to do it. Praise the Lord. The enemy will jump on your shoulder and tell you you can't. There's some of you out here that's saved today. The enemy told you you couldn't be saved. But you're in the church and you're walking with God. You're saved. Amen. So be ever mindful of people out there and all around us who are looking for truth. D, consider teaching a home Bible study. <clears throat> consider teaching a home Bible study. Praise the Lord. We used to do that. Let me just tell you this. Many years ago, I got down on my face before God. I said, God, help me to know what to do in this area, in this Bavard County, to reach people. Help me to know what to do. And the Lord laid on my heart to teach whole Bible studies. And I, I taught one, and I got fall of the year about this time of the year october november guy came in i was pastoring of course then way here that's been many years ago <clears throat> we'd only had a few people come in the church to get saved at that time and and i got tied up with you know things going on thanksgiving and christmas and holidays and all the other things we we're doing in the church and the, the home bible studies got pushed aside came january I found myself on the face, on the carpet again, saying, God, show me what I need to do to make this church grow. <clears throat> the Lord spoke to my heart. Uh, not audibly, just as clear as it was audibly, said, you did run well, what did hinder thee? And I knew it was home Bible study. I said, all right, God, I'm going to start doing it. And I started teaching home Bible studies. One on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday. And folks started getting saved. Next thing I know, Sister Patchen in our church started teaching home Bible studies. 
some of the folks started getting saved by her. Praise the Lord. There are others started teaching home Bible studies. And families started getting saved. Many of your families, uh, the families, the older families in here were saved in that period of time. The church began to grow and the church began to respond because God had given us a tool. Praise the Lord. Finally, I had to say, I got to step away from teaching home Bible studies every night and start teaching these people who are getting saved how to live for God, how to walk with God, how to be faithful to church and how to serve God. You know, I had to teach them, you know. And I'm just telling you all of that to say God wants us, praise the Lord, to help them out there, folks, to be saved. There's prodigals out there. And let's help the prodigals come home. Would you stand with me? And let's just lift our hands and worship God. God bless you. Been a good audience this morning. Praise the Lord. Let's just pray together. Jesus, we love you so much. Thank you, God. Thank you for this congregation of people. Thank you for your people in everywhere. God, thank you for those that you're dealing with out there, Lord, that's hungry for God. Bring them to you, Jesus. Help us to help them to come to you. In Jesus' name, and bless our morning service coming up at this time. In thy name we pray. Amen.